You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner. Thank you to Broadway Podcast Network for allowing artists to continue telling their stories. We still have so much to say, and thank you, listeners, for enjoying these episodes. I love talking to you on social media, so if you are feeling inspired or uh, motivated to write me a message or engage a conversation, you can follow me on Instagram, at the Michael Kushner, or at Dear Multi-Hyphenate, whichever one, do both, who, whatever. Uh, what, whatever tickles your fancy, I guess. Um, but I love to hear from you, and I love to hear how the stories that uh, you can hear under multi-hyphenate are inspiring you. Today's episode is absolutely amazing. It is thought-provoking and heart-wrenching and and absolutely beautiful. Michael McElroy is um, an absolute legend, and I'm so honored to have him in the Dear Multi-Hyphenate space. And my Broadway memory, my second show with Broadway Podcast Network, is back for a second season. My Broadway Memory, co-created with Brian Sedita, keeps Broadway alive through memories, songs, performances, laughs, and more. My co-host and boyfriend, Remy Germanario, welcomed Paige Turner and Jackie Cox in our first episode back on December 3rd. And on December 17th, we have Taylor Mon Jones and Beth Level. So join us. Go to at my Broadway Memory on Instagram or bpn.fm forward slash mbm playlist to watch all the episodes. So enough shenanigans. I'm keeping that phrase because of my amazing episode with one of my biggest inspirations, Sophie Thompson's Let's Get Started. I start every episode now with a quote. And I think these quotes get more and more <laughs> needed. Um, when I was in, uh, when I was a freshman, Cynthia Henderson, who was a guest on Dear multi my freshman year scene study teacher, we started every quote with, we started every class with a quote because it uh, focuses on intention, relationship, objective, tactics, and that one thing. So now I like to start my podcast episodes with a quote. And this quote is something that another guest of mine, uh, my inspiration, Elena Garcia, uh, has said multiple times. And she says, God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. Now, I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. So take that for what you want, you know, whoever God is to you. But I have run into that a few times in my life where um, I do believe that if there is a will, there's a way. And if we are shown adversity, we are able to push through that the easy way out is not doing it at all or um, running away. Uh so I like to be able to push through things. I like to be able to find a solution, a resolution. And I think that in these trying times, that is that rings true. There's always something to discover about ourselves, something that we can always change and adapt. So whoever God is to you, God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. And that being said, I am thrilled to welcome this week's guest. Uh, Michael McElroy is an actor and music director. On Broadway, he was in numerous shows, including Big River and Rent, including the original off-Broadway run of Violet. He is the founder of Broadway Inspirational Voices, 
And not only is he a Tony-nominated actor, but he is the recipient of the Tony Honor for Excellence in Theater for his work with Broadway Inspirational Voices. Currently, he is a professor at NYU and the director of the Office of Diversity Initiatives for Tisch Drama. I am so pleased to welcome one of my biggest inspirations, Michael McElroy. Hi, my friend. How are you? Hey, Michael. I'm, I'm well. How are you? Oh, you know. Did that quote say anything to you? Does that? Well, I grew up in, you know, my grandfather was a minister. My stepfather was a minister. I grew up in church. Um, my family was the first family. We were the musicians of the church. I sang in the choir. So, you know, that idea of um, the journey for me has been finding what God is for myself and that individual relationship. Um, and I do believe that we all have our own journeys and those journeys are filled with lots of hills and successes and valleys, which my friend calls valleys of preparation. And in those valleys of preparation, those are moments are needed because there's something that you have to navigate or move through in order to really be able to appreciate when you're standing on the mountaintop again. And so though I am, there are probably some experiences in my life that I would prefer I didn't have to experience and I sure don't want to experience them again. Um, I look back and the moments of the greatest growth that I made as a human being on this planet were the moments where I had to navigate the moments of difficulty. They taught me wh what I believed in. They taught me um, how I had to be strong. It, it tested what I believed to be faith and believing in something greater than myself. Uh, it taught me mo lessons that made me have to grow up uh, to examine my behaviors uh, so that when I stepped into other spaces of what is, could be considered success, um, I had a different appreciation for them and my worth was not determined by those moments, but they were moments to be celebrated as a part of the journey. Thank you for sharing the imagery of valleys of preparation so that we can appreciate when we're standing on the mountaintop mm. is really, really beautiful. And I, it's, you know, it's interesting because I, I talk about the lava underneath the surface of a creative and how there's always lava. There's always um, an impulse. There's always a something. There's a buzz. Whether when we're falling asleep and we have that thought of like, what if I could do that? And we can either act on it or not. And it's lava, and it sort of either comes through the surface or it doesn't. But the valleys of preparation to me go even deeper. It's about how those thoughts come through. Because if the thoughts are the lava, if the heart is the lava that's popping through there's something even before that there's the there's the start of that and that's the valley of preparation which i think is really beautiful and um i think i'm there right now i think mm -hmm. that you know it's like one, one thing after another just sort of happened recently like my hard drive crashed and then this and then that and it's sort of i'm i'm going okay well what are what can I rely on? You know, we can't take it with us, right? <laughs> so what can I, um, what can I rely on? And ultimately it starts with me to be able to look in the mirror and do the work on myself again. Now I think I'm at a period where the work I did on myself lasted me a little bit and now it's time to revisit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or move on to the next thing. There's never, I mean, just like with our, our work as artists, 
you know, you hit these walls and you just keep going at it and doing the work. And then that wall comes down and you're like, ah, it all makes sense. And then there in the distance, <laughs> there's another wall. You know what I mean? So just like life, just like our art, which is intertwined, you, there's no arrival point. There's no moment where you arrive and now I am the actor or the artist that has nothing else to learn. As long as you're living on this earth and engaging your craft, engaging relationships as a human being, you're always growing. And with growth, growth, there comes struggle. There's a moment of struggle to give, to be the seed or the beginning part of that moment of freedom and liberation. Beautiful. Um, there is no, there is no arrival point. And what I like to talk to art, younger artists that work with me, it's like, yeah, how, if you're fortunate enough to have, you know, uh, attentive parents or a supportive family, it's like, cause everyone's experiences are different. You know, um, how many of you had your parents or your guardians or whoever say, you know, going into theater or show business, that's going to be hard. Well, first of all, yes, it is going to be hard, but not just because we walk into a room and sing our 16 bars and leave and there's something called rejection. It's hard because as artists, we are constantly reflecting our journeys into what we're doing and constantly facing that adversity and almost sort of pull, putting our th ourselves through it over and over and over again. And it's equal parts therapeutic, but equal parts traumatizing almost, you know, yeah, yeah. it's, but um, there is no arrival point. And that is a, that is a really beautiful thing. And um, I think once we change, change our expectations with that, uh, I think we could be easier on our journey and we won't feel so alone. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're on Dear Multi-Hyphenate right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm so glad you are. And I consider a multi-hyphenate to be an artist who has multiple proficiencies that cross-pollinate to help flourish professional capabilities. And boy, are you up there. So <laughs> what does that mean to you? Uh, do you consider yourself a multi-hyphenate? Uh, how do you act as one? I, I never gave it that name, but I guess that is the case. I, you know, growing up, like I said, I was exposed to a lot of music being in a family of musicians, uh, but also I had a mother who loves, who's still here with us and still plays for church every Sunday at eight, and it's going to be 80 this month, and um, who uh, loved theater, um, was a classical musician as well as playing in church. Um, and I had an uncle who was a musical director who'd come stay with us every summer and direct and musical direct shows in our area where I grew up. So I grew up with this incredible love of both you know, music in the church and gospel music and that musical theater, uh, but also the acting part of being a performer and being a singer. So I grew up being exposed to all these different kinds of um, engagement with the arts. Um, and, but then when I got to high school, I really got involved in theater um, while still doing the church thing and singing. And um, when it came time to decide what I wanted to do for school, I ended up going to a college fair at high school and the representative was from Carnegie Mellon and getting into Carnegie Mellon pretty much decided, oh, I'm going to do the musical theater acting thing. Um, 
and sort of put the other things to the side. But while I was at Carnegie Mellon, I decided to join the gospel choir that they had. And then I ended up taking over the gospel choir they had. And so I started to build what became the genesis of Broadway Inspirational Voices while I was in college. Because in my gospel choir was Billy Porter, uh, this guy Ty Taylor, um, all the, like many of these members are members of BIV now. Um, and so I got here, I started pursuing my career. Um, and I was very fortunate that I had jobs that came and I was blessed to have those opportunities coming out of Carnegie Mellon. My first show was Shakespeare in the Park with Denzel Washington doing Richard III. And I did all these different things. And then uh, I arrived here at the height of the AIDS epidemic. And in that moment, as actors are empathetic people, we wanted to do something to try to understand, to try to place our inability and our helplessness with this you know, loss. Uh, and so Broadway Cares came out of that. Equity Fights AIDS came out of that. And then they came together and we started doing benefits and cabarets to raise money. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I said, I want to do something with gospel music because I understood for me that music was what was getting me through. Um, that connection to what the power of that music is was getting me through this time of such senseless loss. Um, and and my third cabaret, I said, you know, I just want to get some friends together and do a evening of gospel music. No name, just do it. And I got Alice Ripley, who I was in Tommy with, and Billy Porter, and Adrian Lennox, um, Sharon Leo, who does a lot more TV now, Virginia Woolf, just like 11 people. And the response was overwhelming. And then we became an annual concert. And that became Broadway Gospel Choir, which eventually became Broadway Inspirational Voices. And with, in doing that, while I was still pursuing an act, being an actor, all of a sudden I had this other artistic outlet that required me to delve deeply into my music skills, um, directing a choir, arranging for a choir, um, you know, all of those things. So it wasn't that I was saying I wanted to do both but the opportunity presented itself. And I found that when I wasn't working as an actor, there was always another artistic outlet that I had. So I never felt like I wasn't employed, even though there were times when I was unemployed, but I never felt like my art wasn't there with me, right? And I was always fed artistically because I, was, I always had the acting stuff, but I also had the music and BIV, um, which, I ended up writing more, arranging more, and that led to a whole other career as a vocal arranger uh, for shows. So um, I've always felt full, overwhelmed, <laughs> but blessed that I've gotten to pursue and that the opportunities have been there to allow me to delve deeply into what I love to do. That's a gift. You know, the, the common misconception with multi-hyphenating is that we're always looking for something new. We don't really know what to land on, but that's literally the opposite. It's the whole idea of it is that we're never unemployed. <laughs> leadership. I never thought of considering leadership as a hyphen, but, you know, whether or not like that's being an artistic director or an executive producer or something, leader, because then we are forced to deal with money. We're forced to deal with um, uh, environment and making sure everyone is happy, housekeeping, you know, things like that. 
uh, learning new technical abilities, how to maintain a website, how to maintain social media. Leadership is a hyphen all on its own. Yeah. And it's, it also, you have to really have great people skills <laughs> because you're always navigating many personalities. Um, and that's something we have to do in the art world anyway, as artists, but when you're a leader and people look to you, um, and that's something I grew up in church because being a part of the first family of the church, you didn't get to have a bad day. All eyes were always on you. And it was ingrained in us that we were to set the example. We were always to be gracious. We were always to live a life of service, meaning, you know, that, you know, it's about giving back. And that has served me as I've navigated and figured out what my own spiritual religious path is for me. Um, but su such, there's so many strong and um, potent uh, foundational things that I was taught growing up in my family and in my church that still resonate and are part of who I am today. And that is giving back, being in service. I think as artists, as actors, we are in service. We are in service to bringing that character that's a flat thing on a piece of paper to life with our humanity, you know, honoring what has been written, but bringing ourselves to it. But that's service. We are service to storytellers. We are service to the audience in terms of, you know, being responsible for a story that will change people's lives or at least touch them, make them laugh, make them smile, whatever. So that idea of service, that idea of mentorship, of giving back, of of, of paying it forward, that I'm here doing what I'm doing because there were teachers, artists, people who saw something in me and said, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to give you opportunities. I'm going to mentor you um, so that, you know, you can step into, a, into your fullest potential. And then the responsibility becomes on me to then make sure that I pass that on. Um, so those things have served me and are very much a part of, I never wanted to become a teacher. My mom was a teacher for 36 years. I never wanted to become a teacher, but when the opportunity came, I said yes. And then it was about figuring out how, but the tenets of what I believe in, in terms of you know mentorship and paying it forward and passing it on, passing on legacy, passing on knowledge, information, um, and supporting the next generation and finding their own voice, by passing on the information, that's just a part of the way I was raised. And I'm honored to be a part of that legacy moving forward. The work that you've done, you know, with what was Broadway Gospel Choir and now is Broadway Inspirational Voices is, uh, I mean, I was at um, the gala in, in uh, March and it was one of the best nights ever. Uh, one of one of the best nights ever. The work that you do, this, I mean, the sound that you guys produce that you folks produce is just amazing. I mean, it hits you like a brick wall and there's a, a sense of purpose. And I was speaking with Angela Grovey, who is a guest on like episode three, cause we work with, Co we, we do Covenant House work uh -huh. together, sleep out. And I, and I love Angela and she, uh, her entire episode was about service. Mm -hmm. It was about service. And I think that that is beautiful. And that is something that, I, I hope that listeners take away with them, but for me, I know that I will, and I'm going to incorporate that into more of my why and more of like what, and what I do as an artist. And 
I had a question and that was just because as you're talking about sort of comparing and contrasting and there's such different stories, such different experiences, but sort of you went through one pandemic already and now you're going through another. What are some of the similarities and what are some of the differences from Mm. now and in the um, 90s? Well, I was 21 years old, right? I grew up in Ohio. I went to school in Pennsylvania. You know, as much as I was around theater people, it was an incredibly sheltered life. So getting here and right at the height of the AIDS epidemic, it was devastating because I didn't really, I didn't, on one hand, I didn't have the tools to process it. But on the other hand, I had been brought up in a religious spiritual environment that gave me certain tools to understand that everything is, not everything is in your control. Um, So it was different in that I was younger and trying to navigate how I build the tools to be able to grapple with what's going on. Now, as I still continue to grow and evolve as an artist and human being, I have a different tool set that's more defined, though not, and by no means finished. <laughs> um, in some ways, I'm definitely in a lot of ways, I'm not innocent about it. In some ways, I have much more anger and rage and devastation now, whereas before I, I didn't even have the depth of life experience to really process it, right? It was just like, what, huh? What's happening? I don't understand, huh? Now I know, I understand, you know what I mean? And it makes it harder now because I'm like, lots of what's going on could have been avoided. Lots of what's going on could, is senseless um, in that, you know, back then it was, I just had, I had no, no understanding of it. Um, though looking at both pandemics and looking at how they have um, hit certain groups of people and that somehow makes it almost okay for certain people um, is uh, that hasn't changed. It's just a different group. But even within that group of AIDS epidemic, it was still and continues to affect uh, black and brown communities much more today still. And the same thing we see happening with uh, COVID. So where some things have changed, some things are still the same. And we haven't learned as a as human beings, we haven't learned certain lessons and that's why they keep coming back. And I just feel like at some point, I hope in my lifetime that we evolve to a place where the things that we do and the ways that we hurt each other become less prominent, but you know, as I said, I, I didn't have the tools. Now I do. And I think in some ways it's better to be innocent because, you know, <laughs> now it's, it just, it's makes me angry. Um, it's heartbreaking. Um, and, uh, it feels so senseless in a, in a, in a new way because it feels more intentional. Woo. Um, it does. And I, I constantly ask myself, I go, when are we going to learn? When mm-hmm. are we going to learn? Because this is not our first time at the rodeo, right? We've we've had many different experiences, similar 
like this uh, different in many ways. And I'm just wondering when we are going to learn, when we are going to start putting ourselves second and start being better to each other, being better members of society, more responsible members of society. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't. And (laughs) I don't know if you have any answers to that, but it's, I, when are we going to learn? Well, it just seems so senseless. And I don't want to underplay the AIDS epidemic uh, in saying that the same, the same, what you're saying is exactly true. The same kinds of tactics and behaviors were happening then. It could have been avoided if the information had gotten out sooner in many different ways. I don't know if you got to see the normal heart when it was on Broadway, the revival, you know, when uh, that happened with George Wolfe and I think Joel Gray directed, um, where during the course of the show, at the end of each scene, they would put up names of those who passed away in that period of time. And by the end of the show, the entire every wall in the entire theater was covered. Though some of that could have, a lot of it could have been avoided if information had been gotten out to people, if they had talked to people, you know what I mean? And, and you know, if our community hadn't been resistant because we're thinking, oh, you're trying to clamp down on my freedoms. I mean, it was a combination, once again, of so many different, um, uh, a perfect storm of so many things happening. But information is power. And even in this, we see wear a mask, don't wear a mask. It doesn't matter. It's been politicized. It doesn't, all of this stuff that just makes us have to live through the same life lessons over and over again, which is what every individual journey is like. It's like, you have certain life lessons that you have to learn as a human being. And if you don't learn them, they just keep coming around. It may look different in a different hat and a different coat, right? But it's the same life lesson, right? Yeah. And, and, and I feel as a, as a, race of people, the human race, these, even these two things aren't new, right? We don't seem to want to learn those lessons. And I hope that we don't have to go through this again. Now we're speaking, we were speaking about leadership before. How, how has your leadership, because you, because you are such a a role model for so many people, Mm -hmm. how is your leadership come out during this time and how do you anticipate that it will be needed when Broadway does come back, when live performances do come back? Well, um, there have been a lot of organizations that have formed in this time. I think the biggest wake up call for the theater community was, you know, we've always, you know, fancy ourselves as this liberal space where all are welcome and, you know, aren't we just so proud and pat ourselves on the back for how liberal and welcoming we are. And I think that this moment has opened our eyes as a community to the fact that we have just adopted the same systems (laughs) that are are in our country um, in our artistic spaces. And so it's been an eye-opening moment for a lot of our industry. Um, And in this moment, a lot of artists have come together to say, we can't work um but we can begin to build structures and be in partnership to build foundational structures that when we do come back together will create a spaces that are much more inclusive that lead us into a place where all 
where there's much more diversity, not just on stage, not just backstage, which I think is important in front of house, but in the boardrooms, the people who are making the decisions, in the artistic spaces, in the creative team spaces, in the casting spaces, so that we can step into the fullest potential of what we can be as artists and as storytellers. Um, I, I don't know, this may get me in trouble, you probably want to take it out, but I feel like when you look at the opera world, you look at this world that has done very little in the past 50, 60 years to cultivate new audiences, right? You don't see much diversity on stage. You don't see any outreach into communities to diversify the audience. And now what do you see? You see a generation of supporters, artistic supporters of that world starting to be in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, dying out. And therefore the, the art form doesn't have a support system anymore. In 20 years, it'll be almost obsolete. And you know, and that same thing, if we don't get our act together in the theater community and start diversifying and bringing more inclusive voices and new voices into who's making the decisions, who's creating the work, then we are going to run the same path, right? And so this time has given us an opportunity in this moment of stasis to really look at what are the systems and practices that we have and how can we begin to start to put structures into place that we can hold ourselves accountable to that will um, develop more inclusive spaces for storytelling, for, for theater making across all of the uh, spaces in our industry. And so to that end, I'm a founding member of Black Theater United, and we have been really looking at how we can use our personal professional currency to change the world of theater, but also use our professional and personal currency to shine a light on what's happening in our country. So we've been focused on the census. We've been focused on the vote, getting the vote out. And then also looking at ways of partnering with producers and, and theater organizations to really look at creating systems that we can put into place that will build more diversity across all areas. I just went live today with another one that I'm founding members of, Musicians United for Social Equity. And this is conductors, musical directors, composers, arrangers, contractors who've come together across the Broadway spectrum of, of the field to say, um, we want to make sure that there are pipelines and pathways for more black and brown artists to come into these spaces in these positions um, so that we can diversify who's getting to be in these roles. Um, and then the third group that I've been involved with is NYC Next. And that group is looking at, you know, as New Yorkers, we can't wait for tourism to come back. As New Yorkers, the arts is an integral part of New York City. So businesses and organizations coming together to say, we've got to be responsible for building, bringing arts back to the city. And we're going to make sure that we are offering opportunity for artists, paid opportunities for artists to, to engage their art in all five boroughs of this of the city. Um, and so I've been involved with all three organizations from the planning to the launching to um, artistic endeavors and advocacy and all of that in this time, while also continuing to teach and to do the work that I do in diversity initiatives. I do not know why we are not taking hashtag quote unquote risks, which is what they're being called and producing these stories that share collective human experience that share. Uh, I, 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 I do not know why they're not being told I, I, on a macro level. 
and it frustrates me so deeply. Yeah, but you do know why. Uh, you know what truth. I mean? It's a, that, that's the truth. It's that is true. also about we have to train or re-disrupt and reconfigure how we look at what stories should be told, who should be telling those stories, and what is of value. Because the minute you monetize something, it's going to go to the voice or to the experience that they think is going to make money. So it's about how are we cultivating new audiences? How are we cultivating diverse audiences? You know, there are people here, people of color in New York City who have money, who will come to the theater if you let them know that there's a space for them when it's not just an August Wilson play. You know what I mean? So it's like, how are we connecting to and uh, engaging with vendors in the city of that are, 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 are more diverse backgrounds? How are we widening our audience? Um, how are we you know, looking at audience development and community development, right? Those things you know, have not been, there's not been value placed on that as being important. And in this moment with what has happened in our world and what happened with George Floyd and all the things that happened with COVID that put us in a position where people could not escape it. It was right there and you couldn't go anywhere. You had to watch it. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it in some ways, it makes me a little angry because people were like, oh my gosh, we got to do something. And I'm like, well, Ahmaud Aubrey happened and Breonna Taylor happened. It, you know what I'm saying? So, but it was just a perfect storm of COVID and un, being unemployed and the world coming to a stop. And then George, uh, George Floyd happening that made people see it finally. What, as a person of color, I have experienced and seen my whole life. Um, so it takes a reimagining, it takes a commitment, and it takes accountability so that we are shifting the focus and saying, these are stories that are of value, mm -hmm. you know? And if you, like we've seen with Strange Loop and we've seen one or two pop through every once in a while, mm -hmm. whereas you see other people getting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten 10 shows all the time, right. it just takes a retraining of what, of what is of value and committing to that with outcomes and accountability to make those changes. If you tell people a good story, because ultimately for me, ultimately underneath all the diversity and all of those things is the human experience. And if you tell a good story and you tell it well, beautifully, then people will come to see it. And we have to you know, retrain our brains to think, oh, that's not gonna make money. No, theater, you know, theater uh, producers and theater institutions can dictate what that is. They can say, this is a good story and start to shift that mindset. But it's going to take us working together with outcomes and accountability for how we're doing it to really make it happen because it's too easy to go back to the way things were because that's comfortable to some people. And there are folks that want to do it. I mean, that's what I found so encouraging in this moment um, is that there are a lot of people who want to from the biggest theater institutions to the biggest theater producers who are on board. There are some other people who look at it as I'm going to lose not just some finance, some money, but I'm going to lose some of my power. And that's those are two very seductive right. things and very di difficult to give up. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for sharing that, because um, there's so much work to be done, but it starts with accountability. And, um, you know, there's a lot of conversations that 
uh, are happening with even institutions, uh, training programs. And, you know, that starts there as well. And you, um, are a professor, uh, a professor at NYU Tisch, and you are, are not only a professor, but you, um, are a director of the office of diversity initiatives for Tisch drama. In our program, when we had a new chair come in five years ago, one of the first things we were talking about was how we can start to look at creating more community and more inclusive spaces uh, for diverse voices, lived experiences, imaginations to be honored and valued through artistic training. Um, so we started that work four or five years ago. So now as we we're stepping into this space, there are some structures that are in place that have helped us to navigate this moment where I see many, and I'm not by saying in any stretch of imagination saying the work is done. It's not, we have things that we're still challenged by and challenged to do. But whereas I see some of my uh, fr friends and fellow artists, teaching artists in other programs where things are imploding, we have been putting structures into place uh, through hard work, through successes and failures and learning and listening and um, retraining ourselves and uh, how we do things and who we're in partnership with and all of those things. Um, so the work has been ongoing and continues to be ongoing. Uh, so it's been, the, the challenging part for me has been in the summer, my first thought was, well, we got to get things working so that these students can come back in in the fall. So let's strengthen what we got to strengthen. Let's keep moving things forward. And I didn't take that time for me to process, but I needed, that's the way I did it. I had to, in order not to deal with what was happening in the world mm -hmm. and how that affected me, I immediately said, who can I help? And let me help to make better structures for my students. And then when it did hit me, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, but I always have the work to, as a place to go back to and say, okay, what can I work on? While still trying to figure out how to balance self-care. How, you know, the great thing about growing up in my experience was that idea of service, but also there's a part of religious dogma that's about self-sacrifice and that there's something egotistical about saying, no, I'm gonna put myself first. It's an incredibly unchristian thing to do, right? Um, and so learning how to say, I got to take care of me. And as someone was just saying the other day, it's that idea of being on an airplane when the oxygen take thing comes down, yeah. you have to put it on yourself first before you put it on the child. You got to take care of yourself first. So learning at this late stage in my life or at this moment, uh, how to do that it has been a part of the journey. But the diversity work is ongoing. It never stops. It's personal because it's me and I have that day-to-day -day experience. And it's also trying to meet this generation of young people who have been socialized in a very different way than I have. Um, and then also always interrogating for myself, is this something that I feel strong enough to, to be ongoing in doing, right? Uh, because it does take a lot out of you. It's very personal and very, it just takes a lot out of you. Uh, we talked about being an empath earlier um, and I'm an empath. I know that you're an empath and it's, it's been very rare. Uh, I talked with my therapist about like why I feel so exhausted after like Zooms, 
and FaceTimes and she was like, well, it's because, you know, our body thinks that there's someone in front of us, but the energy Mm -hmm. is not getting forward. So it's not moving forward. So our body is actually working on double time and trying to figure out how to get that energy. And, and, but you're one of the first people I'm talking to over a screen that I'm feeling affected by physically based on, uh, emotion. And, um, you know, you are such a, uh, such a force and, you know, you're, I, I, like I said to you before, you know, you, uh, when my boyfriend was one of your students in NYU, Remy, and when, uh, you were doing a show together, you gave him a note on a postcard and that note is, is on our fridge still to this day. So you've made a lasting impression on him. And I know that you've made a lasting impression impression on so many others. And um, before we wrap, I want to just, I usually ask, you know, a question to my listeners. And I think that a huge, um, a huge theme of today was talking about leadership. So for those of you that are listening, I want you to think about leadership. I want you to ask yourself, what makes a good leader? Are you a leader? Do you want to be a leader? Um, what is leadership to you? So uh, take that, run with it. Let me know your thoughts. Don't let me know your thoughts. Just let it be your little actor secret, your little artist secret. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you so much, Michael, for being here. Um, Thank you for giving me your time, giving us your time. I'm deeply affected by what you said. Um, And I hope that you felt supported today. Um, And uh, where can we find you on social media? Um, my Instagram is Michael Michael the Artist, um, and most of the you know everything that's going on biVoices.org is our Broadway Special Voices MuseOnline.org is for Musicians United Social Equity, and then BlackTheaterUnited.com with an R E we're fancy um, for theater is where you can find that, and then NYC Next to find out not only how to become involved in bringing arts back to our city, but also where the pop-up performances will be happening in a very socially distanced, uh, responsible way will be happening. We just did one in, in, uh, in, on the steps of TKTS uh, two weeks ago. It was amazing. It was beautiful. And you did, um, you're responsible for the orchestrations for Billy Porter Sunday, right? We worked together. It was me, Billy, and James Sampleiner did that arrangement together. So that I went to French Woods and um, I, I remember they did it. Yeah, Livron Washington, Peanut. He we chore- he choreographed um, us to that number, and so you are you know before even uh, began to work with you or even think about working with you, you were in my ears. I was dancing to you at French Woods. So thank uh-huh. you for giving me that experience and um, so many young artists, so many incredible experiences and. Uh, being so formative for us and that performance on the TKTS steps, like, oh my God, thank you for that. So um, thank you for coming on today. As always to the listeners, thank you for listening. Follow at Dear Multi Hyphen on Instagram or at the Michael Kushner on Instagram and hope you enjoyed Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. Can't wait to check in with you again soon. All the best. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 